0: It is February the 20th, in case you're keeping track. I'm not counting the days until spring. You are. So don't worry about it. Uh, we are in, uh, you know, I, I always joke about how much I hate the winter. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but I will say this. In every season, He is so present. Like it doesn't matter what you're walking through, it doesn't matter what's going on with you, uh, God is present. God is present, um, and so I'm so grateful for that, and I sense that today, and I sense you, so many of us, just seeking after him, just like, I don't know everything about you, God, not even close, but man, I'm interested, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm drawing, I'm drawing close to you, as the deer, like Adam read at the top of the service, as the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, God, can we just be in that place today, Just, just keep our hearts in that position, so this morning, uh, I'll just start by, by, by saying this, this. Do you know what's really hard other than shoveling snow? Do you know, <laughs> you know what was hard for me yesterday? Standing in the kitchen window and watching Rob shovel all the snow. <laughs> it just, I, you know, my heart hurt for him in the snowblower. Uh, do you know what's really hard? Is defining yourself by something other than what you do. Think about this just for a second. So the, it's the first thing we say when we're introducing ourselves because it's the thing we spend the majority of time on in our waking hours, Like, right? So whatever you do when you're awake, uh, maybe you are, you know, whatever you do, whether you work from home or you're a full-time parent or whether you work outside of the home full-time, whatever you do for those majority of waking hours, is it's so hard to not define yourself by that thing. Because when we meet somebody, we say... Um, Hi. Hey. Just that awkward like social conversation, right? Oh, hi. I'm Tracy. Oh, hey. Nice to meet you. What am I going to say next? So what do you do? <laughs> so what do you do? Where do you work? What's What do you do? Uh, and we could change this, this social norm instead of saying like, what do you do? What do you do for a living to people? Or we could answer the question and just... <laughs> mess with people. Just come up with a little paragraph about yourself. That would, people will be like, I don't even know what, what's happening right now. Just define yourself by anything other than your job. Just try and think about what you would say if you were going to answer that question with anything other than, oh, I'm a pastor, or hey, I'm an engineer, or I am a teacher, I'm, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home parent, like whatever, like whatever you would put in that blank. Say, and when somebody says, hey, what do you do? Well, um, my name is Tracy. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 3. Uh, I have spiritual gifts in leadership and teaching, and I have a deep love for music, and I love words. I have uh, three adopted children who I'm um, coaching now into adulthood. I have an ongoing battle with control issues. That's me, Enneagram (laughs) 3. I have a 20-year marriage that I have to invest in every day and get to, and I have an unshakable faith in Jesus that informs my decision. How about you? What do you do? (laughs) Wouldn't that be so fun just to see what (laughs) somebody would be like, this is the craziest person I've ever met? I see a, a meme, uh, or like I guess an Instagram reel. I see it a lot. I don't know what the audio is from. Maybe it's from Schitt's Creek or something. I'm not really sure, but there's like a, when somebody says, what do you do? My best. I do my best. I just, I do my best, OK? Whatever. Maybe that's how you could answer the question. I don't know where that audio is from. You guys probably do. But uh, we, we find identity in, and we want to be appreciated for what we do. But we, we do know, like we know that's not who we are, right? Like we do know we know that, but do we really know that? Can we really separate you know those things that we do with the majority of our time from our identity? Are we able to separate those things? When I was a a kid in, in, in church growing up, I used to hear the adults talking about heaven a lot. And we don't talk about heaven quite as much. We should probably change that a bit, but when I was growing up, heaven was the topic. It was the topic. And I used to hear about it. We used to sing a lot of hymns about it, a lot of songs about it. And I would hear about the streets of gold and the crystal sea and the mansions over a hilltop and that there'd be no crying or, or pain or sorrow and we would worship Jesus forever. And I was, I remember as a kid just being like, that's great. I love singing. But like forever, <laughs> like forever and ever and ever to be like always just, just, we're just singing and hanging out in our mansions. Um, that was my, that's my confession. I was concerned. I was concerned. I was like, that just I mean, I love Jesus and I love singing. But like, um, won't that get boring? Didn't everybody else think that? Okay, it wasn't just me. Okay, good. So a little carnal, I know. But it was a huge relief for me when I as I as I grew my faith and as I um, as, as I read more widely, of course, um, I found out that harps and halos are not something that Scripture promises us for eternity. You guys know that, right? Yeah, so that's not like that That picture that culture has sort of uh, cartoonized, uh, uh, you know, in front of us. That's not real. And Scripture says that we will rest from our labor so we won't be tired all the time anymore. Can I just get a, amen? Why are we always tired, man? <laughs> We won't be tired all the time. We will rest from our labor and we will serve God and we will reign with Christ. This is not harps and halos, friends. And the interesting thing about that, though, when you think about what that means, it means that we'll have something meaningful to do for eternity. And it will be perfect and it will be restful, but it will be serving in some way. Working, if you will, in some way. And I love the sound of that. Can you imagine, like, every day having something to do that is the, in the perfect will of God that you know serves the, the master of the universe and it is exactly perfect for you and you're never weary and you're, and you're never dragging your feet but it's like, it's like that work you do that really fills you up. Like I imagine, I mean obviously I've never been to heaven but I imagine from scripture that that's sort of the picture we're supposed to understand here when you serve God and you're, at, you're in perfect rest and perfect peace. Can you imagine what that would be like? and some singing, obviously some singing, but all of those things. Because the truth is this, idleness is not something that we're built for, right? We don't do idle very well, and rightly so. The problem, of course, is that we swing that pendulum so far to chronic busyness. So we don't, we know, like, we don't do idle, so instead we just never stop, do, stop. We never just stop. We just never stop. We can't stop. We don't know how to stop. That's the problem with that. But But also, um, idleness is not what we're supposed to be, but also finding our identity in what we do is also not how we're supposed to be. Like, that's not how we're created. So both of those things are not the balance we're looking for. But the life of the disciple of Jesus, uh, which we were talking about all month, has a similar tension to this, this idea. And Scripture says that our salvation is not earned by what we do or the things that we don't do. But there also isn't a category for people who believe in Jesus and do nothing. And those two things are true at the same time. And I know this is a tricky balance, and then we're just going to explore it a bit this morning. And so in this, in this series, um, this profile of a disciple of Jesus that we're looking at, We first talked about the heart, that base foundational layer that can never be pulled out. It is that uh, the heart of repentance, that posture of repentance and humility before God that we remain in and then build from. The second thing being our our spiritual disciplines, the habit of a disciple of Christ, and and all of the things that we can actually practically do that draw us consistently and habitually into the presence of God. And this morning we're gonna talk about what is the work of a disciple of Christ. What is this work? that we can do here on earth, that we're called to. So what is this faith in action? So let's look to the scriptures together. Uh, first in Ephesians chapter 2, let's start there. Um, you can grab this in the YouVersion app, or you can um, see it on the screen, or you can grab a Bible from the seat rack in front of you there. So we're going to read first from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. This is a great one. If you're looking, if you're looking to earn the... Uh, a highlighted verses badge in the version app. This is a good one. This is a good little passage to highlight. You can earn some points toward, do you know you get badges? Some people, that's not motivating for some people, but for those who is, it is. You know what I mean? Okay. So uh, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, let's read together. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast, okay? We just established that fact. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we talked about this scripture not too long ago. uh, So I want to remind you some of the key points here before we move on. That word handiwork, we are God's handiwork. Also workmanship uh, is sometimes it's translated as is, is really means like you're God's masterpiece, like you're his, his work of art. That's kind of the idea there. Uh, you, are, are, you, friend, are the result of artistic craftsmanship by God. That's, that's the meaning of, what, of that word, okay? And when it says that you were created in Christ Jesus, it has, the, it has the feeling of being recreated in Christ Jesus. Because you were created, that's why you are here. You were created by God, but sin has ruined the original creation. That design has been marred by sin, and so we need to be born again or recreated in Christ Jesus to be in the design that God had intended for us. So that's what that means here. And when it says, um, prepared in advance, the the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, I, I just love the way it's literally translated, which is, uh, the works which God has prepared beforehand, so that we walk in them, so that we walk in them. So God has prepared things for us so that we walk in them. So this could mean like specific good works for your life. There's specific things you're supposed to do, sure. but certainly it means here uh, Paul's meaning was certainly for your whole your life, like your whole life um, uh, being a, a work, uh, a stepping out, a walking in, the work, that God has prepared for you day after day after day after day. So specific things, sure, but more, specific, more, more intentionally probably in the scripture is the bigger picture of your life being a, a display in, the, in what you do every day of the masterpiece of God that he's created and now recreated in Christ Jesus. And I wonder if Paul knew the controversy that he was going to create with this kind of writing. To just juxtapose these two ideas within three verses. Like he's so clear in verses 8 and 9 and he's like, and also verse 10. Like both things are true at the same time. And the paradox he lays down here, totally without apology, he just says it. Like you are saved by your faith and don't think anything else. Like you cannot boast. You didn't do anything to earn faith. Jesus did all the things. And you have work prepared for you to do. You don't, you're not saved by your work, but you have work. Do you understand? These are things can be true. Just settle it. Settle it in your spirit. And I'm going to yell about it for a few more minutes. Full stop right there. And, and Paul, and there's other places in Scripture, of course, where we talk about this. We're going to get to those. But Paul also alludes to this in uh, Ephesians 4. So we can just flip over a couple chapters. And uh, let's read in Ephesians 4. Paul is uh, now talking about unity and maturity in the body of Christ. And he says in verses 11 to 13 so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip the people for what for works of service so why did he give these offices to the church these giftings to the church why did he Christ himself do that it says right here, to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness in Christ. And I love this word equipped because um, the first time I ever studied this passage, I came across that this the Greek word for equipped actually means, like we think of equipped as though like um, like, like having what we need, and it does mean that. But it's more than that. It actually means um, putting things in the way that they were meant to be. So actually putting things back in their proper order. and, And so therefore having what you need, the components you need, for things to be in their correct and proper place and order so that something functions properly. That's a bit of a different definition than we just hear with the English word, Equipped, so, so Christ gave these offices to the church so that every member would be educated and guided and cared for and sought out in such a way that every person in the body of Christ could do what they were intended to do and become what they were intended to become in Christ. And just in case you're wondering about this relationship, if there's any doubt what Paul meant, if there's any doubt that this is what Scripture is teaching about this relationship between faith and works, that your faith is not from your works, but then you actually, if you are in faith, you will have works. In case you're wondering about this, um, James uh, uh, James really lays this out for us in his letter. So let's turn to the the book of James, and we're going to read a few verses in here. James got himself into a lot of trouble saying this. But it's essentially exactly what what Paul was saying in in Ephesians chapter 2 and even in Ephesians 4. People struggle with the controversy, but we'll talk about it. But you'll you'll hear these same truths set up right beside each other again. James uh, chapter 2, verses 14 to 25. What is it, my brothers and sisters? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe in that there is one God? Good. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. <laughs> James is not, like, he doesn't fool around. If you haven't read the book of James, like, just this is just how he rolls. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. This is where he got into trouble a little bit, right, with that statement. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So to be clear, if this is the first time you're reading this passage, and maybe you've already wrestled through this, but you can see why there would be controversy. But didn't we just say that we're saved by faith alone, but then you're saying, like, if I don't have works in my life, then I don't have faith at all. I don't, and, and you just say the opposite thing of that. And just to be really clear, when James is saying here, someone who claims to have faith or somebody who says that they have faith, he's talking about somebody who doesn't have genuine faith. He's talking about people who, who, who call something faith that really isn't faith. They're saying, oh, yeah, but I believe all the same things you believe. It just looks different in my life. And he's saying that's not even a thing. It's not a thing to say you believe in Jesus but not have anything in your life showing fruit of that. That's not a thing. If your faith was real, it would be lived out. And so that's how, it's not that you're really actually saved by your works, but the, the point is we know that you have saving faith in your life by what we see in your life. He says, like I said earlier, there's no category for Christians who believe and do nothing about it. And in fact, I might even say, you might say you believe, but if you really believed in who Jesus said that he was and, and trusted him with your life, it would most naturally start to transform everything about you. So there must be thought and action. There must be prayer and effort. There must be faith and deeds. These things have to go hand in hand. Uh, and somewhat ironically, uh, no one has captured the basic message of James 2.14, maybe more forcefully than Martin Luther, which is ironic, because if you know what Martin Luther taught, um, Martin Luther was the, the great reformer. And he was the one who got the scripture in his hands, and, and what he was being taught in the church at the time uh, it was, was that, you know, yeah, you, you believe in Jesus, but then you have to do all these things and literally pay all of these fees and you have to go through the priests and you have to do all of these works and all of these things will add up to your salvation. And he started reading the scriptures and said, well, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. So he's the great reformer, but listen to what he said. And he, he did a commentary to, in Romans and in his preface to it. Here's what he said along, in this topic. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it to not be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. Hundreds of years old, this quote Still ringing true. Okay, so if you get that, and if you're tracking with me, we get that faith is not just a philosophical agreement with a concept. Faith is in Jesus means that there will be obvious change in our behavior that comes from that belief. So then the question might be, if you're okay to receive that word and to understand what we're talking about, then you might ask what is it then, what is this work that we're called to do? So if it's not work that's going to save me because Jesus saves me, but there's also work that I know that there's been prepared in advance for me to do and that um, there are things that God in his, his master design of my life and, and my giftings and, and the way he's knit me together, there are things that I'm supposed to do. What are those things? What is the work of the disciple? So works in a, in a general sense simply means obedience to God. So when you hear that word work, it can mean so many different specific things that let me just say it to you that it means obedience to what God is asking you to do. So that's why we said in a general sense, there's obedience to God. There are things that he's said yes to. There are things that he has said no to. There are things he's asking you to do. And so the work, so that's the general sense the disciple is to be in obedience to his word, first of all. So that's the general Sense of it. Um, There are things from Scripture that you're just going to want to put into practice as part of your good works in Christ Jesus. Uh, Scripture talks about generous giving. You become a generous person in every way, prayer and fasting. He calls us to these things, and so we walk in obedience to them. Um, sexual purity is another one. So choosing to live a life that honors God in that way. Um, and living in obedience to these things. These are some of the good works that the disciple of Christ is called to. So if you read it in Scripture and you walk it out, that's good works. It also, good works can be something that you are directed to do by the Spirit and you obey when you hear the Spirit calling you. you. You you learn to listen to what the Spirit would say and then say yes and do it. So that can be a lot of different things as well. Maybe it's responding to a need. Maybe you see a need around you and you're like, I, I, could, I could meet that need. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe... It's um, helping somebody in a time of crisis. Maybe it's just walking alongside them um, in a specific season of their life, whatever it is. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's stepping out in faith in a new job or a new ministry in some way. And you, you hear the Lord saying, do this next thing, whether it's like easy or not easy. You know? Do it. Maybe it's removing something or some relationship or stepping aside from something that you know is, is not good for you. And you need to walk in obedience to that. Maybe it's the, the Holy Spirit is asking you to step out in a spiritual gift. We talk about that. We've talked about that many times, but specifically talking about like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has for the church. And He's calling you to step out in a word of prophecy or a word of wisdom, or you have the gift of faith or healing, and, and you need to step out in obedience and, and pray for that person, or you need to step out and, and share that word that you've been given, or whatever it is. Like, those are also some of the good works. It's listening to the Spirit and walking in obedience. These good works can also be something specific that's just for you in your life. Uh, like, we get a little obsessed with with being called. Like, are you called to the ministry? Guess what? Everybody is. <laughs> Some of you, like me, I, I get to do it um, as a full-time vocation, but all of us are called to the ministry. Um, so we get a little a bit obsessed about what's my calling. I don't know if my calling is got up to my calling. I have three um, older teen, young adult kids. This is like the conversation. Like, what are you going to do with your life? You're going to go. Don't even worry about it, but Ruthie got into her first choice school yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I love you, Ruthie. She's in Ethiopia, she's not even here, and she's like, we're just getting midnight text messages, and we're like, yeah, I'm so excited. So, like, that is a big, like, I know, so if you're in that stage of life, or you, maybe you remember that stage of life, or maybe you're mid-career going, I think I need to go back to that stage of life, and so I want to go back and try it again, right? But you feel so much pressure to make the right choice, like, the perfect choice in your life, like, what am I going to do, and should I take this job, or should I take this program, or shouldn't I, deny? and what do I say yes to, what do I say no to, like, all of those things, we get so obsessed with that, and I understand why. It is a lot of pressure. And for our kids, pray for our kids. We have um, we have some uh, older teen young adults in our church who are making big decisions right now. So if you see them or you know them, just pray for them. Pray that they would hear the voice of the Spirit. Just pray for them. because you rem- First of all, just out of sympathy, because you might remember that time in your life. But also we just pray. They pray God's will that they would know what God had, that God would order their steps, right? So just remembering that. Um, we want to know... What God is asking us to do in our lives that's right or perfect, or like the will of God, the perfect will of God, you know? And then we get all stressed about it. Is that just me? No, it's not just me, right? Okay. You guys are just like, really, Tracy? Those control issues you talked about earlier? Yeah, coming to the surface. In my experience, um, if you deal with works in the general sense, like we talked about, the obedience to the scriptures, and the things you're called to do, the obedience to listening, like learning to listen to the Spirit and responding to that need, responding to that call to step out into you know, a spiritual gift or, or some kind of serving ministry or whatever, that call to, to help your neighbor and to not be shy, that call to whatever that thing is, right? If you, if you are learning to respond to the works in a more general sense in your life, the specifics are going to come. The, God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. He's a God who's promised to lead and direct. But he's, he, he does need you to learn to hear his voice. But it says that as if we're listening to him, that the sheep will know the voice of the shepherd. So we can be assured that in the specific things, he will lead us. He will lead us as we learn to listen to him. That, so it, that has been absolutely my experience through life, that when I am, when I am focused on, on listening and being obedient to the works in a more general sense, to the obeying of the scripture and to, to, to saying yes to spiritual disciplines and to asking the Lord what he wants, those specific things come much more easily. I can hear what he's saying. Things make more sense to me. Are you called to vocational ministry? Should you take an engineering degree or an education degree? Or should you move, move locations and cities for that promotion? Or should you stay where you are? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But again, I will remind you God is not a god of confusion. So if you are if you are in a space where you need direction, God has promised to lead you. So stay faithful to the works he's already called you to do and watch how he leads you into what's next. Ask him, like and really ask him. Fast and pray and ask him. He'll show you. And I always say this because I just want to make sure that you understand that faith is uh, a, a difficult choice every day. But it's not complicated. First Thessalonians five sixteen to eighteen. I love this scripture. It says, "Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances." You guys know this one. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you are stuck, friend, you can't. You don't know which way to go, and you haven't felt the Lord leading you yet. Stay prayerful, stay grateful, and stay joyful in every way that you can because that absolutely, no matter what else you do in your life, is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Start from there and watch how he leads you. So we ask ourselves, is our faith at work? Do we see obedience in our lives and do we see it working out in our daily tasks? Does Does the activity of our lives reflect obedience to God? So I want to challenge you. You can do this right now. I won't even, I won't be offended. Take out your calendar. And I want you to look at it. You can do it in your mind if you want to, but you can do it in real life if you want to too. Take out your calendar and look at the week you just had. Or, and, look at the week that you have planned ahead of you. Just consider it. Just like, that's a real practical thing. Just consider it. Look at what things were in there. (laughs) Some of us... Put thing, more things in our calendar than others. Some of us are like, oh, remember. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Not me. So if that's you, I bless you in that. Think about that. I Look at your calendar. Reflect on, did the activities of my past week reflect the good works that have been prepared in advance for me? Like, like, specifically, like, don't get wrapped up in that good word, like, oh, I wasn't out feeding the poor this week. Maybe you should have been. That's not off to me. That's you and, the, you and Holy Spirit can deal with that. But, like, what, but obedience to the scriptures, you heard the Spirit, you responded to what he was asking you to do, you built your life, I will build my life, right? We just saying. You built your life and your schedule with that as top priority for you, and, and you're looking at the week ahead in the same way. That's a really difficult... Like, I, I understand what I'm saying to you is extraordinarily difficult, but I think it's a good test. James uses the example, examples of um, Abraham and Rahab to drive this point home. He says um, they had faith in God that caused them to make very significant decisions in their everyday lives. Abraham chose to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God. Trusting God. God said he would fulfill his promise through Isaac, and then God said, sacrifice Isaac. And, God, and, and Abraham was like, okay. God, you said you were going to fulfill your promise through Isaac, so I don't know how you're going to do it, but I actually trust that you can't raise him from the dead or whatever you're going to do. I trust that I can lay this down and walk in obedience. And it says that that, uh, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Because you can say, oh, God, I trust you for that promise. I trust you for my future. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my Isaac. I trust you with, like, my most precious thing. I totally do. But it's not true unless you're willing to walk in obedience when God says you need to lay it down. So because they were working together, that faith was made perfect. It was made complete, and it honored God, and God blessed him incredibly. And in case Abraham, maybe he's like, oh, he's such a great man of faith. I could never be whatever. In case that's not relatable enough to you, how about the non-Jew, prostitute woman, who, of course, in that society was was not exactly equal uh, with the male counterpart. What about Rahab? She is not the poster child for the people of God. But her decision to protect the spies, because she recognized God at work, made her just that. Her faith in action made her considered righteous. Because she said, I can see the Israelites are going to overrun us. I believe that that, the God of the Israelites, whoever that is, is who he says he is. And then when the spies showed up on her doorstep, her response to them to say, I, th- I not only believe, but I'm going to risk my own life to protect you because I can see that your God is the God. Yeah. She, she like, let her faith live in her actions. The disciple of Jesus has to have the heart first, then we build the habits, and then we are empowered to do the work. We are empowered to live in the in uh, the obedience that we are called to. And I can hear somebody say this morning, I agree with that, of course. It's just that I don't have capacity for anything else in my life. I just don't have capacity. Have you seen my calendar? Do you know how many kids we have? Do you know how many activities we have to go to? And you panic a little bit when you hear me say faith in action. That's just true. Like, let's just be real about that. How can I add anything else to my life? I'd love to be the kind of person who feeds the poor and teaches Sunday school and has Bible studies on my lunch hour with my coworkers to share Jesus, but I am barely keeping my head above water here. I'm barely became, I don't even know how. I, I love it. I love the idea. I love the concept. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just can't do it in this season of my life. And I would say I agree with you. If that is how you are feeling this morning, everything in your life is too much. It's too much. And you weren't asked to do that much. Everything we've got going on in our lives is, is too much. Because I sympathize, I truly do. I do not, if you know me, you know I don't sit still very well. If I sit still for too long, I fall asleep. <laughs> so my body goes, thank you, <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> so uh, this, is a, this struggle is real, I understand. It's absolutely rampant. Let's just do a little experiment, a little thought experiment this morning. Um, let me see, who can I pick on? I want you to say what, what you're supposed to say. Don't say what you think I want to say because of the sermon. Okay, Dave? Ready? Um, Dave, hey, how are you? How, How are you? How have things been? Fine or busy? Those are your two options in Canadian culture. How are you? I'm fine. Or if you really want to get real, busy. Gross. Those are two really gross answers to that question, right? This is how we live. This is the society we live in. We just have to be honest about it. And so here is the challenge that I am constantly hearing from the Spirit, and if you will allow me, I will challenge you with it this morning. I hear the Spirit saying, do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I trust Jesus with my eternity. I trust him with my finances. Like, we tithe, it doesn't matter what else is going on in our our life. We give. I trust you. I trust trust Jesus in my decision-making, like where we go and what we do. And he's asking me, do I trust him with 168 hours in my week? Do I trust him with my calendar? To me, that's harder. Can I really give him control of my time? So just to pull these thoughts together, we backtrack for a moment. The work I'm called to as a disciple of Jesus is non-negotiable. That is part of the life of a disciple, faith in action. There are things for me to do to walk out my faith. Ways of obedience in in lots of ways that we talked about this morning. There are ways for me to specifically walk out my faith. And I can find those things through the daily ways that I connect with God, through my spiritual disciplines and habits. Those are key to, to be able to hear and respond to the voice of the Spirit. And to back up to the first week of this series, and we do that by starting from a place of humility and repentance and recognizing what is in our heart that is fighting for control and to start by reposturing our hearts. And for many of us, we've made an idol of our time. We would almost be willing to give up anything else except our time. And so again, I would just call us, church, to back up And check the posture of our hearts. Asking forgiveness for how we've spent this incredibly precious resource on ourselves. Like you can make more money, but you can't make more time. And ask the Lord to show us how we've done 168 hours a week, how we've wanted to, and really haven't thought much of him. I know, I'm just saying this from a place of being guilty of it so often. So to do the work of the disciple, we need to have the habits of a disciple that are formed by the heart of a disciple, and this one is super key. When I think about the vast majority of Christians that I know, I don't know anyone who's unwilling to serve. I, don't, I, don't even, I can't name one person I know who truly loves Jesus and is like, I'm not doing that. What I, I hear over and over and over again is I don't have the capacity for that. And I'm not saying um, that we, of course, you, you, please understand my heart, that we're going to busy ourselves in the work of, of like, programs in the church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the time to obey the works you have been called to do as a disciple of Christ, starting with the habits we talked about last week. That has nothing to do with like, the programs of the church or anything else, Right. And then being able to hear the voice of the Spirit and you hear him calling you to make a meal for somebody and you just don't have capacity in your life. And I wonder if the voice of the Spirit would be calling us as a church to say, why don't you ask me first and then put the things, other things, great things, fun things, amazing things, whatever, like great things in second. But ask me first and let me speak to you about the things that I have prepared for you to do, that I've specially gifted you for, that I'm speaking to you about Why don't you ask me first? The Lord has prepared good works in advance for us to do. Scripture is super clear. He's going to show them to us. He's going to equip us for them. And he will give us capacity to do them when we're listening to him. I fully believe that because I have lived it. When I start my, my week and my day and say, Lord, there are more things to do this week than I have time for that's not healthy for me. What's actually important? Do you know what he does? He leads me. There are things that get moved. There are things that get pushed off. There are, There are. He, he will literally lead you in this way. And our jobs are just to posture our hearts, to discipline our days, to make room for the things that are going to last for eternity, because most of the stuff in my calendar doesn't. So I would just ask you that this morning as well. I love that... Um, Adam and Peter led us this morning in that song. Most of you probably didn't know. It's a great album, Chris McLarney, Everything and Nothing Less. Is that what the album's called? We should just, we should just link that to the off-campus. It's just a great album altogether. But uh, we, they, uh, they sang this this morning. I thought, well, isn't this just the prayer for someone who's saying, I don't have capacity, but I, I really want to walk in obedience to the work that you have prepared for me as a disciple of Jesus, but I don't know how to do it. Let's just come back to the posture of the heart. And I'm going to invite you, guys, if you could come and lead us one more time as we close this morning. Um, I actually want to invite you to stay seated where you are. Off campus, I want you to do this where you are as well. And you can do this just with eyes closed and head bowed and just take a moment and consider. But I also would say, for those of you who this would be meaningful for, pull out your calendar for the week and, and pray over it. Say, Lord, this is what I already have in there, and I know there are things that I'm going to put in there, I wanna think about how I could trust you with my 168 hours from now until we meet again next Sunday. Have you, have you told yourself that there's nothing you can do about your calendar or your, your time? Are there things that are keeping you busy or distracted and you're just unable to make room for other things that you know will be beautiful for the kingdom and also for your soul? Are there, is there something that's keeping you from praying that your days would be guided by the Spirit? Because if he actually answered the question, you're not sure you're willing to move some things out of your life. Are there things you're, you're worried about saying yes to? You hear the Spirit calling, but you just like don't know if you could actually say yes because you know it would cost you in your time. And so the question for us today, which I have been asking myself as well, I am right here beside you, but I would invite you to not shy away from it and say, God... Am I willing to say everything and nothing less? My best, my all. You deserve my everything, my life, my song, my time, my calendar, everything, Lord. So take out the next weekend ahead of you if that's meaningful to you. Maybe take out a journal. You can make some notes about that or just sit quietly and ask the Spirit, in what ways, could I make space for doing the good works you have prepared in advance? In which in, in which ways am I not able to obey what I hear you saying to me because other things have crowded. I just want to hear from you, Lord, because you're the one who knows my heart. So let's uh as just stay where you are sing if you want to, but you can just listen and ask the Lord to speak. Let's take a moment to do that together.